Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Time of pain. That as they look to you, Lord Jesus, that that life would shine brightly into their own hearts and produce life afresh and faith afresh. So, Lord, I, I thank you for, for this family. And we pray your comfort and blessing over them in this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, folks, I, um, I was really blessed by your prayer, Craig, this morning, because you touched on something that I was actually going to close out with. And so instead of closing out with it, I'm going to start with it. Craig, you prayed that we would have the boldness to believe what we're going to hear and that we would have the boldness to put it into action. And that's running very near and dear to my heart right now, because I must say I have been tremendously challenged by the series that I'm currently preaching, that we're currently ministering on, on prayer. I've been challenged in my own prayer life. I've been challenged in my level of faith. I've been challenged in my degree of intimacy with God. And in so doing, I've had a wonderful time in studying and preparing to minister week in and week out. Um, and just hearing what it is that God is saying to me, reminding me of things that I once knew but really challenging me and calling me up to a higher level of faith and a higher level of prayer, a higher level of intimacy and dependency upon him. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But I really believe that the things that we're talking about now should not just be interesting things. Yes, we log into church on Sunday. We have a good time of fellowship. But these things, these truths that I'm sharing with you, they need to find practical expression in our personal lives. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's where it becomes life and light to us. And so I want to encourage you as we share today and as we've been sharing on this series, don't be content to hear a message and carry on with your week as normal. But allow these things as you meditate on them to, to, to come alive in your hearts so that they can produce the fruit that is desired. Now, that's it. What we've been talking about is prayer, as you know. And we've been talking about the secret place of transformation. That's the title of the whole series. So intrinsic within everything I've been sharing is this idea of transformation, changing from one degree of glory to another, transforming our thinking, transforming our faith, and thereby transforming our lives and our experiences with God. Romans, uh, sorry, Matthew 6, 6 is that remains our foundational scripture where Jesus says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in the secret place. And he who sees what goes on in the secret place will reward you openly. And this idea that, we, that, that flows through is that God wants to share his heart with you. God would love to reveal his heart to you about how much he loves you, how much he cares about you, about the wonderful plans that he has for you, about the promises and the wonderful things he wants to lead you into. And these things get communicated to our hearts through those heart-to-heart conversations that we have with God in prayer. You see, we spoke about the grafting, that God has grafted us into the life of Jesus Christ, who is the vine, so that his very life, his life force, his love, his grace can flow to and through us. And Jesus said to his disciples that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So the first week, we spoke about this intimate place of being alone with God to have conversations with him. 
Last week, we looked at the bold assurances that Jesus gives us for answers to prayer. He says here that whatever you ask the Father in my name. Again, let me read you a couple more scriptures. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 7 to 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. There's this incredible invitation with great assurance giving, given for answer to prayer. John 16, 23. And in that day, Jesus says, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. And I shared with you last week how something that was really impressed on my heart is that when Jesus teaches about prayer, he doesn't give provisos. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't provisos. We do need to pray prayers in line with God's will. We need to pray in faith, believing. We need to pray. Uh, and, you know, the Bible says, husbands, if your relationship, you're not looking after your wife, right? Your prayers are going to be hindered. There, there are provisos. We have to pray within the will of God. But it, it struck me so powerfully that when Jesus teaches on the subject of prayer, he throws the door wide open and basically just says, come, come and pray, come and ask whatever it is that's on your heart. You see, Jesus didn't include preconditions because he didn't want us to restrict or inhibit him right up front by the limitations of our own thinking. God is not limited. God is an unlimited being. The limitations we experience in our relationship with him are limitations that we have because of the way we think. So when Jesus says, just come and pray, come and ask, he says, come and have the conversation and be bold. Ask for big things. I am God almighty. And in the process of asking and in the process of the conversation, trust me, I know I've asked for big things. Sometimes I've gotten them. Sometimes I've failed. But in the process, my heart has been galvanized and I've learned how God works and I've learned the will of God. And sometimes he still surprises me. But I think too often we limit God right up front by what he can and cannot do, what he will and will not do because of our own understanding. Oh, why would God give, you know, bless me like that? Well, just because he loves you, just because you're his kid. Why would why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? Why would God do that? Why wouldn't he? And I think that's just the kind of attitude that Jesus calls us to come to God with. So if we are talking about the kind of prayer that is bold, that is courageous and that gets answers, we are inevitably going to start talking about the prayer of faith. And that is where I'm going to be going today. I want to begin talking to you about the prayer of faith. But before we just jump into that, I want you to understand what I believe the Spirit of God is saying to our hearts through the series. And this is what I was alluding to right at the beginning. God is challenging our attitudes and expectations concerning prayer. God is challenging our attitude towards prayer and our expectations of what we can pray for and what we ought to receive in prayer. You know, how do you feel about prayer? Is prayer a joy and a delight for you? Is prayer a time where your heart is changed and comforted? Or is prayer a burden? Is prayer a, a box on your list of things that you should do every day that just needs to be ticked? Or is there life and vitality in your prayer life? 
What is your attitude like? God is talking to us about that right now. And he's also talking to us about our expectations. You know, do you believe your prayers hold power? Folks, I've been in ministry and I've been around prayer long enough to know that I can pray a prayer from my mind saying all the right things, but without any power, conviction or faith added to it. Truth is, we can all do that. And the truth is, we probably all have. We know what to pray for. God, please bless. God, please protect. God, thank you for being awesome. It doesn't take rocket science to do that. But there's a big difference when my faith is engaged, when my heart truly believes what is coming out of my mouth. And I've been challenged over the past couple of weeks just concerning my own prayer life, where God is really challenging. You know, Michael, you pray prayers. Do you really believe that I'm working in that situation? Do you really believe that the answer to that prayer is coming? Or are you praying it because you know you should? There's a few few people for whose, whose salvation I've been praying for for many, many years. And I don't pray for them every day, but I pray for them often, frequently. And I'm still trusting God and thanking God for their salvation. And it's like God saying, do you really believe I'm going to save them? Or you're just praying for them because you love them and you know you should be. Do you really believe what you are saying? And also look at what you are praying, Michael. Are you asking me for anything great? Is there... You know, are you being challenged in your faith at all in your prayer? And these are some of the questions that God is asking me. And folks, I believe that God is asking them to all of us. The second part of James chapter 5, verse 16 from the Amplified Bible says this. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. What kind of prayer? The earnest, the sincere, the real, the raw. The real stuff that's coming from within you. That is the stuff. You know what? If, if your prayer isn't moving you, your prayer is not going to be moving God. I've heard somebody say that before, and I believe it to be true. Is this true of your prayer experience? That earnest, heartfelt prayer is, is producing tremendous results. Are you seeing results in the area of prayer? If not, what have you been praying for? And what's your level of expectation being? God is wanting to take your prayer life with him to another level. He wants to take your level of revelation, knowledge, and understanding of who he is to another level. Because as that happens, your faith goes to another level. And when your faith goes to another level, your level your prayer goes up as well. You know, I read books sometimes by the likes of Ian Bounds and Andrew Murray. And the way they talk about prayer and the power and the life that they get out of it and that they believe is in it and that they saw in their own ministries, it challenges me. And I believe it ought to challenge us. I believe the words of Jesus when he says, ask and you will receive, ought to challenge us. And today I want to focus not just on the dynamics of the prayer of faith, but I want to focus on the power and value of faith. And that, that is found in not what God says or not what somebody says, but in who says it. Let me rephrase that. The power and value of faith is found not in what is said, but in who said it. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God, for anyone who comes to him must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not diligently seek his promises, his provision, his power. But he says, without faith it is impossible to please God. So there's nothing that we can do outside of faith in our own good works or desires that can bring pleasure or can please or can bless the heart of God. The only thing that blesses God's heart is faith. Faith means that we trust him 
and we trust what he says. He says, for he must, he who comes to God must believe that he is, in other words, not only that he exists, but that he is God Almighty, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Folks, in this area of prayer and, and asking boldly, we need to remember who we are talking to. And we need to come to prayer with great reverence and great expectation. You know, we need to come with reverence. We are talking to God Almighty. We have a direct line. He has brought us to himself that we can have direct communication with God Almighty, who is the righteous judge, who through his own faith created the world and for whom nothing is impossible. That's who we address when we pray. Nothing is impossible for him. And therefore, we should come with great expectation, not only that this is God Almighty for whom nothing is impossible, but that this God Almighty is my heavenly father. He's my dad. And, you know, Jesus says that our attitude when we come to him in Matthew 9, 11 should be that if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in other words, we ought to come with a degree of great expectation for the intimacy of God, for the, for the, on, of the fatherliness of God. That he will, because he loves us, provide our needs and give us the things that we desire. He will lead us in his ways. He will share his heart with us. And so our coming to prayer should not be a case of doing some things or saying some prayers in order to appease God because we're feeling guilty. Or to say the right things to make God happy. You know what? Jesus made God happy with us already. We come to prayer with great expectation that our father will pour himself into us and fill us with who he is. God wants us to have great boldness in prayer because of who he is, not just what he can do, but he is gracious and generous and loving and compassionate. And therefore he wants us to come boldly. Put it another way. The more we know God, the bolder our prayers will naturally be. The more we know of his goodness and his grace, naturally our prayers take on a different angle. They take on a different weight and a different expectation. You see, when we, the more we know God, the more we trust his word. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith doesn't come just because somebody else says it. I believe it because God said it. Let me give you an example. Our washing machine is currently in for repairs. It's been in for repairs for a week and a half. We phoned the repair people weeks ago uh, and they never came back to us. And then they never came back to us. And we tried and tried. Eventually, we get hold of somebody and they said they would send a technician to get hold of us. One day went by, two days went by. Eventually, on a Saturday, I'm standing in pick and pay and the technician says, you know, um, I need to come and see you. Uh, maybe next week I can make an appointment. Eventually, long story short, we get the technician. Next day, they decided the best way to fix the machine would be to take it away. We were told we would have it two, three days later. Three, four days later, we're phoning and saying. So eventually, I get hold of the owner of this company because I'm up to here with this now. And I have civil conversations, but I'm saying, you know, this is absolutely ridiculous. What is going on, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually, the response I get is certain promises are made. Guess what? 
The truth is he forgot my job card, which he was seeing too personally. He forgot it on his desk and he forgot to give it to the right people. So three, four days later, I'm phoning to say, what's the status of my washing machine? And nobody knows anything about it because it hasn't even been captured in the system again because the job card's still sitting on the owner's desk, which I know because I speak to his people, but he didn't have the guts to admit to me. Just said, I don't know what happened. I don't know why there's any progress. So he promised me that they would have certain parts overnighted from Johannesburg because they first told me that was impossible. I said, sorry, I come from logistics. I know that's very possible and you need to have it overnighted and you're going to have to pay the price for that and, and, and get it done because I need my machine. And I was finally promised it would be delivered yesterday. <laughs> Guess what? Still no washing machine. So here's the point. Do you think I believe them when they tell me they're going to do something now? <laughs> Certainly not. I do not believe a single word that comes out even of the owner's mouth because he's made three assurances to me and truth be told has not followed through on one of them. So I don't believe him. I don't believe him not because what he says is potentially true or untrue. I don't believe him because he is the one who is saying it. He has proven himself unfaithful. But now what about God, folks? God has never, ever given us reason, not once, that he is unfaithful. God has exalted his word even above his own name because he is always faithful to his word. God keeps his promises. The Bible also says that God is not a man that he should lie. He is absolutely worthy and deserving of my trust. If, if that is not true, folks, your salvation is on very shaky ground. <laughs> if I can't believe that when Jesus said that if I confess him as Lord and, and, and repent of my sin and turn to him, that I will be saved for all eternity. If I can't believe that, my eternity is on very shaky ground. But yet we, we, we're happy to put full faith in the prayer that we make for our salvation. But yet we waver and we doubt with all other kinds of prayer. Jesus promises us that when we pray a prayer of faith for, for salvation, we are saved and we confess it and we believe it with all our hearts. But what about healing? What about revelation knowledge? What about provision? What about love and grace and mercy and all these things? Folks, at the core of our prayer, at the core of our faith, lies what we truly think and believe about God. This is the only thing that limits God in our life. God is limited in your life only by what you choose to believe or not to believe about him and about what he says. This is the area that defines your prayer life. Think of Jesus when he returned to Nazareth. Jesus has been doing incredible miracles. He's been ministering all over the place, healing many wonderful people. He comes into Nazareth where all his brothers and sisters are, where all the people that he played in the street with when he was a kid are. And he see, they see him and they say, who is this? Isn't this the carpenter's son? We know this guy. He can't be the Messiah. And because of their knowledge of him, they disregarded him. And the Bible says that their unbelief kept him from doing mighty miracles in Nazareth. God Almighty was restricted, was limited, was hamstrung because of the unbelief of the people that he came to. Folks, the only thing that hamstrings us is unbelief. Before we can talk about the dynamics of how faith works, the prayer of faith, we need to anchor ourselves first in the one through whom faith works. 
I'm going to ask Pastor Andreas next week if he's going to, te to teach on the prayer of faith. It's one of his favorite subjects to preach on. So in, in that regard, the apprentice shall give way to the master. And, and I'm going to ask him to elaborate on that. But before I do that, I felt it's important that if we don't have the foundation right and we just talk about the prayer of faith, it can very easily become perverted to a place where it's a means through which we can get what we want. And that is not what the prayer of faith is all about. The prayer of faith is a faith that takes God at his word and takes his promises, believes them and applies them. You see, we need to reassess, I believe, the things that we believe about God in terms of his greatness, his love and his power over us. You see, God has lavished you and me with his love and with his grace. He's given us his name and all his authority. He's given us direct access to himself. He's given us wonderful promises. Not that we may hopefully wish for them in prayer and maybe they will come to bow, but that by faith we take hold of them and appropriate them and make those things real in our lives. It's not wishy-washy this. This is powerful stuff. Hebrews 11.1 1 says the faith is the substance or the realization of the things we hope for, but it's the evidence of the things we don't see yet. It's something that happens inside us that moves us so that we believe what God says above everything else that we see or feel around us. Romans 8.32 from the Passion Translation says, God has proved his love by giving us his great, greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Do you believe that? <laughs> I think of the last couple of weeks, I've really been challenging what it is that we truly believe. Not what we say we believe, but what is really deep down inside of us. What, can, what do we believe God can do and what do we believe that God will do for us? You see, the problem that we face is not that God has not given or has not made available. We're not trying to convince God to do something that he hasn't already done through Jesus Christ. The biggest struggle we have in this area is that we simply don't know God well enough to believe what he says and appropriate it. It's not that we don't know the truth well enough. It's that we don't know God well enough. We probably know a lot of his promises. You could probably all quote me scriptures about healing or provision or grace or mercy or love. Or, but the problem is our, 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 our lack is in the intimacy of who God truly is. And you know what this Bible calls this? Unbelief. It's the inability to believe something because it, it's almost too good to be true. It's like the man said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe that what you say is true, but he didn't know Jesus well enough. He hadn't followed him long enough to know that what he was saying truly was so and that it could actually be so. And this problem of unbelief is the same problem that God had with the nation of Israel, and we can learn a lot from them. Think about, think about their journey. You know, we talk about Egypt, but even before Egypt, in the time of famine, God brought his, the entire nation of Israel, which was only a big family at that stage, he brought them into Egypt 
to rescue them and deliver them from the famine that was throughout the land. And in Egypt, they grew, they multiplied, they prospered until eventually an evil pharaoh rose up and decided to, 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 to persecute them and to dominate them. And for years and years, they stayed under domination and they prayed and they cried out to God and God sent, he rose up his deliverer. He rose up Moses. And think about it. God brought them out of Egypt with miraculous signs. Think of the plagues, the signs, the wonders. And he brought them out with riches and wealth. He walks them to the Red Sea. What happens? They didn't believe. They started crying and shouting at Moses. You brought us here into the wilderness to die. Woe is us. And Moses prays and God opens up the Red Sea for them. And they walk through the Red Sea on dry land. They see with their own eyes Pharaoh's army swallowed up in the ocean. God provides for them manna out of heaven to feed them. Miraculous thing after miraculous event. And yet they stop short of the fulfillment of everything God promised and intended for them. Why? Because again, despite everything that they have seen, they struggle to believe. Folks, this is the warning to us. Despite everything that you and I have seen, the world can get into us and we can still find ourselves in the place of unbelief. This is why that prayer closet is so important, that our unbelief can be transformed into faith. Doesn't matter how many miracles you've seen, your next situation is going to test your faith. And, you know, it's very easy for us to look at the the Egypt, the, the, the Israelites and say, oh, you know, how could they not believe having seen all of these miracles? It's the same as 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 knowing about somebody who's got a who's having a hard time or going through job loss and where's their next paycheck coming from and saying to them, you know, believe God, he's going to come through for you. He's going to provide your needs. It's a very different story when you are the one who's just lost your job and you don't know when your next, pay, next paycheck is going to come from and you don't know how you're going to meet your needs. That is where your, your faith is going to be tested. It's very easy to look at the Israelites and say, why didn't they? But look at yourself. What are you anxious about? What are the things you are struggling with and grappling with? These are the areas God is wanting to speak to us about. And so we see the nation of the people of Israel that come out right to the border of the promised land, the land that had been promised for generations and generations to them. They're on the cusp of it. This is the chosen generation. This is the people that was going to lay hold of it. They were the recipients of the promise. Abraham didn't see it. Moses wasn't going to see it. You read Hebrews 11. So many people who, who God made promises to, who, who were a part of the process of bringing it to life, but they never got to see it. This was the chosen generation. We are the ones. And yet they fell short in the desert. Folks, we are sitting on the cusp of one of the greatest revivals that, that, that we have seen in our lifetime and maybe for generations. You and I are the chosen ones that God has called and, and is preparing to enter into this incredible harvest, this incredible outpouring of his spirit. It would be a tragedy if through unbelief we stop now on the very borders. So Moses, as they're standing there, sends out spies into the promised land. And you know the report that comes back. I think it's Numbers 13 and and and. and Ten of the twelve spies said, no, you know, these guys are huge. The giants there, the sons of Anak are there. And we were as grasshoppers in our own sight. And, and therefore, we were grasshoppers in their sight. And they gave this negative report. And the people feared and trembled and went, oh, dear, how could this all be? And the people chose to believe the report of the spies instead of 
the promises of God, despite everything that they have seen. They still chose to believe what they saw with their natural eyes. Hebrews records it this way. Looking back, Hebrews 3, verse 16 to 19, I'll read from the Passion Translation. It says, the same people who were delivered from bondage and brought out of Egypt by Moses were the ones who heard and still rebelled. In other words, they heard the word, but they didn't believe it. They grieved God for 40 years by sinning in their unbelief until they dropped dead in the desert. So God swore an oath that they would never enter into his calming place of rest because they disobeyed him. They didn't believe him. They didn't follow him. Verse 19, it is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. That is such a beautiful way of putting it. They could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. Folks, the only thing that is keeping you from your inheritance in Christ Jesus, the fullness of Christ's inheritance, is unbelief. That is the only thing that, that holds us back. Jesus has taken care of every other requirement. There is nothing else that is standing in our way apart from our own unbelief. However, in this multitude, there were two men who still believed. And I want to turn to the book of Numbers 14. I'm going to read to, to you from uh, verse 6 to 11. Numbers 14, verse 6 to 11. About these two men who were different, who despite seeing the giants for themselves, had a completely different perspective on the whole thing. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes because the people didn't believe. So they are saying we're on the cusp here and they are now they, they don't know what to do. They're tearing their clothes. They are broken. And they spoke to the congregation of Israel saying the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You see what incredible faith they had. Why? Because they knew the Lord. They knew the Lord was with them. They knew that God had gone before them. But look at what the response of the congregation was. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Wow. In other words, let's put it this way. It's like somebody speaking faith, speaking the word of God to you, and you're going, Ugh, don't come up to me with that. Wait until you see what's going on in my life. Then you don't, don't give me that nonsense. What is that? That's unbelief. That's magnifying what you're facing and the circumstances over and above what God says he can and will do through and for you. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? You see, that's what we do when we choose not to believe the word of God. We reject him. And how long will they not believe me with all the signs and wonders that I have done along, among them? My friends, are there areas in your life where God is saying to you, my child, how long will you not believe me? That thing you've been hoping for, that sin you've been struggling to overcome. That area of your life where you're still being defeated, how long 
will you not believe me? How long will you lean on your own understanding? How long will you remain defeated, depressed, sick, poor, weak, when I have given you all my fullness? How long? How long? How long will you stay where you are instead of rising up and growing to where I've made you to be? Folks, with everything that's going on in the world around us today, God is looking for those who, like Caleb and Joshua, have a different spirit. They're not caught up in everything that's going on around them, but they have a faith that is strong because they know their God. They have a spirit that chooses to take God at his word and pursue him passionately because of who he is. Numbers 14, 24, just a little while later, speaks of Caleb and he says, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in me, has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Folks, I want to say to you, God has given you and me through Jesus Christ a spirit of faith that will fight. And if we follow him fully, we will enter into everything that his inheritance promises us. That should create in us an excitement, a boldness when we come to God in the area of prayer saying, God, thank you for everything that you've made available to me. And to talk with him, to, 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 to have those become life and light in our hearts. God's word is clear that we ought to expect great things from God because he has promised great things to us. And concerning all these things we've been sharing on prayer, this is where I started off. If there's no application, all we've done is we've heard an encouraging word. We've heard something that makes us feel that's great. God is powerful. But it has to go beyond that. It has to have impact and influence and bring about change in our lives. Folks, what I want to do today is once again invite you to have those conversations with God. Bring your fears to him. Bring your cares to him. Bring your weakness and your frailty to him. Bring his promises to him and give him the opportunity to speak his word into your heart. Because when we, he we hear his word, we become full of the different spirit, the spirit of faith, the spirit that is not subject to this world and everything that is going on in us and in it and around us. We become subject to the, to, to the God of all creation. We become subject to his words. In other words, we come into subjection to, into submission to. We submit to his word and say, yes, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your promises become real in my heart and in my life. Folks, until we've established the fact in our hearts deep down that God loves us, that his power is not just there and available out there, but it is available to us and for us, that he delights in blessing his people and providing for them and healing for them and giving them the victory and the breakthrough that Jesus has. Until that has settled down deep within our hearts, we are unable to pray prayers of faith, no matter what formula we, get, we are given. The prayer of faith is rooted and founded in the person of Jesus and who God is as revealed to us by and through his word in the Holy Spirit. And my, my encouragement to you this week, I hope that what I'm, I've shared with you today, this is not intended to give you a pattern or a formula. This is intended to give you a hunger or a desire 
to go and have those conversations with God. Examine your prayer life. What kind of prayers are you praying? What level of boldness are you putting into your prayers? What are you believing God for? And are you seeing answers? Are you seeing results in your prayer life? If you are not, something is missing. Something is wrong. Don't be like the people of Israel who stopped at the cusp of everything God had for them because they didn't, they were not able to believe. Don't be like them. Do what is required. Have those conversations. Get in the word so that you can enter into everything that God has for you. A beautiful plan, a wonderful life that is a blessing not just to yourself, but to the world around you. God's created you for so much more. Go after it. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.